we met uh, last time, which was a month ago, we outlined uh, the process that we would go through to hire a new coach. Uh, couldn't be happier with uh, being, bringing Bruce on board uh, as the next head coach of the Golden Knights. He embodies uh, so many of the traits that we were uh, looking for. A uh, great record of success. Um, you know, any way you want to measure performance of a team, uh, his teams have been extremely successful. So uh, I think a real opportunity for the Knights. I think that it uh, makes our team better. It only adds to the excitement uh, that we have uh, heading into uh, this coming season. Don't call it a comeback. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, Grab girl? my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm going to hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Because when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. They took it away. Now, Ed, are, we just did a segment that was so great that Jared sitting in the studio, instead of listening to us, retweeted a tweet that says, seriously, a monkey could bartend. This is the Press Box. The last two days on our opening segments, there's two segments we have for the best of. Now you're probably gonna have to play them on a loop because there's not a lot of best of on the show. But we gotta pay attention during these times. With Grainy and Bischoff. Coming up next, we find out if monkeys can bartend. On ESPN Las Vegas. Heck with that, there's a lot of best of on this show. Danny could do a reel every day. The podcast, just listen to the podcast. You got a lot of best stuff every day. I I think we're gonna have to go with you singing the the intro song from now on because that, that was pretty good. Tyler, do you sing the intro song? Uh, no, not like you. You uh, <laughs> certainly enjoy it. <laughs> I, I do enjoy that intro song. I also enjoy you arguing with yourself. You're the one in that rejoin that says there's not many best of segments, and yeah. then you come back and argue. I've changed with yourself. my mind. Well, that was a long Look time ago, though. That was a long wow. time ago. We've 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 had a lot of best ofs uh, recently. Are we going to have any today? It's yes. a Friday, so we're just trying to get through the show. <laughs> <laughs> we're just trying to start the show. Poor Danny put out some fires this morning. He's running up and down the halls like a nut job. We have no idea what he's doing. He's got fires. There's commercials. There's no commercials. Uh, it was. Uh, I walked in and I knew when he's on the when you walk in and Danny's on the. Uh, uh, on the iPhone, and he's also looking at the screen like something major is happening, <laughs> then you know like it's not a good morning to start off with. But we're good, right? I'll, I oh, heard yeah. we put out well, all the fires. Well, I didn't do anything. We're, we're good when we get the first break, and if there's commercials, if it doesn't, okay. if, if you don't hear anything, we're not good. We'll just come back and talk about stuff. The fire, the burner is currently on low. <laughs> oh, but it's still on. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's it's, not it's, good. It's simmering. It's simmering uh, down here at the studio. All right. The first bite. How long will Bruce Cassidy be the Golden Knights head coach? All right. Let me give you an over-under. Well, if Weeks is right about the contract, and they still have to pay two coaches this year, Pete DeBoer doesn't get a job. I'll give you an over-under over <laughs> under of three and a half. Three and a half. All right. So your reference, by the way, Kevin Weeks reported yesterday that Bruce Cassidy, his deal with the Golden Knights, this is how he worded it in his tweet, in the neighborhood of five years and $4.5 million. Um, three and a half, I am taking the under. Ooh. Uh, so you're going this, to three? Uh, if that. This organization has yet to have a head coach for, a three, for three full seasons, right? That has not happened for them before. And I think 
the more curious part about how long will Bruce Cassidy be the head coach of the Golden Knights is how long will George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon be in the front office of the Golden Knights? Because I have to imagine if they were to be fired within the next couple of years, that Bruce Cassidy might be gone as well. And this all revolves around how successful is this organization going to be? Are they going to win a Stanley Cup in the next couple of years? Are they going to be, you know, back-to-back conference finalists in the next couple of years? Or are we going to see a bounced in the first round team at some point? Because I think if we at any point see a team that gets bounced in the first round, there's a legitimate reason to fire the front office because they're supposed to be winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I, I'm always going to say that I think the guy with the longest rope is McPhee. I, I, I actually do. Um, I thought he did. I thought he had it this year. If any change was going to be made, now we understood and, and know what the change was that was made. That anyone in the front office, it would have been, uh, it would have been McCrimmon. Uh, but Bill Foley said soon afterwards that that wasn't going to happen, and then we know what happened with Pete DeBoer. Um, I don't know. I'm going to take, I'm going to take the over because I think they're going to be pretty good, and I think that they know. The criticism they've taken for completely changing coaches all the time. I don't think these guys like criticism. I think I don't think they like to be questioned at what they do. So I'll take the over. And I'm taking the over based on if Weeks is right, which is he's saying five His years. five-year deal. Yeah, that's yeah. A, yeah if he's right. Because uh, when you say in the neighborhood, it's like, well, what does that mean? Um, it could be four or five at $4.5 million a year. I'm certain that they owed Pete DeBoer around $4 million this year. So you're talking about what eight and a half for this year if Pete DeBoer doesn't get another job um, which is a lot of money for Bill Foley to keep paying coaches Uh, but I'll take the over might sound crazy but I'm going to take the over do you think they have to win a Stanley Cup for him to be here that long yes okay yeah yes I I I think they have to win a Stanley Cup and because I think and you said it right when he got hired there there's no other level of success Right. No, they've already done the Western Conference Final. They did it twice. They've already done that. They've they've actually they've already been to a Stanley Cup Final. Never mind the Western <laughs> Conference Final. They've been to a Stanley <laughs> Cup Final. So I think the next step is the only step to define him as successful is if he wins the Cup. Um, I don't think he ran from that yesterday. Uh, I, I don't I don't think he. Um, we talked to him after the press conference. He didn't run from it then. Um, you know, in terms of you know that's that's what he's here for. So he's not, you know, doubting it or, or saying that that's not what should happen. Um, but to answer your question, I think if I go over on the number, then they better win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, and and to me, that's sort of where this comes to is is the Golden Knights fired two coaches that had gone almost as far as you can go without winning the Stanley Cup. Right? Obviously, DeBoer didn't get back to the Stanley Cup final, but back to back years where he went to the conference finals and. Gerard Gallant obviously had a year where he went to the Stanley Cup final. That has been not good enough for this front office in the past. Having good playoff success but not ultimate playoff success hasn't been good enough. And so I just don't think he's going to be here for four seasons or more unless unless they're hanging a banner in one of those four seasons. I think that has to happen for Bruce Cassidy to stick around. Now, you know, if they were to like lose four straight Stanley Cup finals or something, maybe you don't fire him then because you're so close and that might be ridiculous. But I think if there's any at any point in the next couple of seasons, if there's any time where, oh, they're out in the first round, right? I that's or they to me miss is, the playoffs altogether. Well, 
Jesus, yeah, good God, yeah. if that happens. I mean, okay, in all seriousness, if they were to miss the playoffs next year, no matter what the excuse is, even if everybody on the roster got hurt, surely somebody in the front office is fired, right? Yeah, I don't think it's Cassidy after one year. I mean, I, I just think Man. that that would be complete buffoonery if you're if you're talking a fourth coach in seven <laughs> years. I mean, there's a little buffoonery to three coaches in six years, but you'd go to a different level of it if you let go of a guy after one year. But I don't think you're incorrect to suggest that someone would go above him. I just... Uh, this team built itself to win the Stanley Cup, and they missed the postseason this past year. And I there are valid reasons as to why. Uh, should Pete DeBoer have been fired? Probably not based on the reasons they gave. But if this next season, if they miss the playoffs because the team just simply wasn't good enough, I, I if you're Bill Foley, I think you've got to sit down and be like, okay, what did McPhee and McCrimmon build? And do they need to come back? Mm -hmm. And then the second part of that, is if they miss the playoffs again because of like injuries, I think you also have to look down and say, what did McPhee and McCrimmon build, and why is this team constantly hurt? Because yeah. that, I mean, yeah. we've talked about well, that's it a, a bigger lot. question, right? With you know Mark Stone having a back injury, right? Uh, Robin Leonard has missed a lot of time. The majority of this core is in its either late twenties or early thirties, which again is not old. But it's to a point where, okay, you're not exactly going to age nicely from that point on in your career. If there's significant injuries again this year, and that's a reason why they don't make the playoffs or they're not a true contender or whatever it is, I think you've got to seriously look down and look at the front office and say, okay, what exactly did you build here? Because this is not good enough mm -hmm. if that is going to keep happening. So I, I'm like, you mentioned it. McPhee has the longest rope. Like it's, it, Bill Foley seems to put entire trust in him. I do wonder what it would take for Foley to sit down and, and actually reevaluate the trust that he gives and the to George McPhee and what he would do to make a change. So like, what would it take for Foley to say, okay, George McPhee is the one that needs to be changed out here, not everybody else. Below I think him. it would take a lot on George McPhee. I just do, and I'm you know I, I keep saying that and keep saying that, but I just have a feeling that he's the one who has impeccable trust by the owner. Um, I'm not so sure the same is with the general manager. It might be. Um, he kept them this year, and they didn't make the playoffs, and obviously we know who the fall guy was. I, I mean, I can't, I can't even fathom they would miss the playoffs next year if, everyone, if, if they don't have the injuries. Um, I think they're just too talented. Right. But losing round one? Yeah. And I, then we'd see what would happen. I mean, yeah, they get the two seed in the Pacific, have a decent year, but not a great year, and then they lose to L.A. in right, the first the round or something like that. And you look around and you say, what the hell was that? And all of a sudden, we start pointing out, well, Bruce Cassidy always loses in the first or second round. He very rarely gets past the first or second round, despite how good his teams were in the regular season. And yeah, I, I think that's a legitimate question looking forward as to what happens with the Golden Knights. Um, one other thing on the NHL, the Flyers are actually hiring John Tortorella. Oh, who, who, John who Tortorella last... and the Philly media. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Who be lasts great. longer, Tortorella and Philly or Cassidy and Vegas? Cassidy and Vegas, because I think they're going to win at a high level. I, I don't think Cassidy's going to be here that long, and I still think really? he's going to be here longer than John Tortorella's <laughs> going to be in Philly. I can't like, wait for Tortorella and the Philly media. Oh, that team is not... Great. 
the team's not going to be good next year, right? Like, no. there's no reason to think Philly's going to be a good team next season. And John Tortorella is incredible, and the media in Philly is also incredible. It's going to be I, – I can't imagine that that's more than two years. I just – I can't envision that happening. It might be one year. And John and – and it might be John Tortorella that says, no, I'm done with this. I'll see you guys later. Like, that's going to be a lot of fun. I almost wish we had gotten John Tortorella, but oh well. Coming up next – We'll jump into the NBA Finals because the Golden State Warriors are champions again. Let the celebration begin with four titles in the last eight years. The run is not done. The Golden State Warriors once again are NBA champions in 2022. He's a four-time NBA champion, a two-time league MVP, a member of our 75th anniversary team, and for the first time ever, he's an NBA Finals MVP. The 2022 Bill Russell NBA Finals MVP award goes to Stephen Curry. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. The Warriors beat the Celtics 103-90 in Game 6 to clinch the NBA title. Ed, you got the amount of games right. I told you it was going 6. There you go. Yeah. So, Warriors end up winning the title, as you heard there, the fourth time in eight seasons that they have won the championship. Steph Curry got finals MVP, averaged over 30 points per game in this series. I saw a set on ESPN that the only player to average 30 or more in the finals at an older age than Curry this season was Michael Jordan. Um, He also shot over 40% from three in this series. Outside of game five, he was terrific shooting. Um, Was this the most impressive accomplishment of Steph Curry's career? I think so. I agree with uh, what Van Gundy said last night. It's the least talented team they've had. And given what happened the last two years, worst record in the league, all the injuries, to come back and to, and to dominate as he did, um, you, have a, you have down here no one else averaged over 20 for Golden State. So he was, he was absolutely amazing. So I'm going to say uh, most impressive postseason of his, of his career for sure just because who he had around him and what had happened the last few years. Yeah, it was 14 or 15 points more than the number two scorer on the Warriors. Steph Curry was better than in this series. Like, he was phenomenal. And it here, here's what I think it basically cements for Steph Curry. He is now an era-defining player, right? Like, if you go mm-hmm. through, there's like Magic and Bird were together. Obviously, LeBron. You had Michael Jordan in the 90s. Like, Steph Curry is in that realm of an era-defining player because he has first off he's won four titles but he has also drastically changed the way the game of basketball is played right jordan and lebron were just best at the sport but curry has changed the way that teams have played hell on his own team he's got a version of himself in jordan pool that takes some of the ridiculous shots that steph curry takes and we've seen that become a big part of basketball and it's because of Steph Curry it's because he shot so well whether it was catch and shoot off the dribble whatever it was he shot so well that you had to change the way you play defense and other teams are like oh we need to do that because that's almost unguardable and that's how basketball has changed largely because of what Steph Curry has done and now to come back where you know they went three in five years 
and then they suffer a bunch of injuries. Kevin Durant leaves. They have two down years to come back and do it again and to do it with what is the least talented team the Warriors have had in this run. It, unbelievably impressive from Curry, and it puts him not necessarily like if you were ranking all-time greats, he's not Jordan or LeBron, but in terms of like icons of the last 30 years of basketball, he's up there in that top tier of old. Oh, like when you think of basketball in the 2010s and maybe the 2020s, we'll see how long he does this, you're going to think of Steph Curry the same way you think of 90s basketball in Jordan and LeBron in the 2010s. Well, and there were guys last night on, on afterwards saying, is he top five, top 10? I'll tell you this, because it's so subjective. I think other than Jordan and LeBron, um, it's just such a subject, subjective list. But when you are the best in the history of the game at the one thing that's most important – I think you're making a strong, strong argument to be as high on that list as possible. I mean, shooting is the most important thing. Obviously, scoring is the most important thing. That's how you win games, and he's the greatest to ever do it. So, you know, top five, top ten, I don't know. We could sit here and make the list out. But if you told me top five, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't blink at that. And I'm not going to say I saw every player or, like, I, you know, I remember every player and what they meant in their eras. And, you know, eras are different. There's no question about that. Athletically, uh, how they take care of their bodies now, how the game is played, like you just said with Steph. But given how incredible he is and the fact that he does the one skill everyone wants to do greater than anyone who's ever lived, um, I, I, I wouldn't argue with top five. I mean, again, I, and if you told me he's eighth, I wouldn't argue with that. I don't know about those lists, but he's incredible. Are people afraid to say Steph Curry is a top five player all time? I think so. Because because of his like physical stature yeah. that he doesn't he doesn't look like LeBron or Jordan. Yeah. That's a great that's a great point. I think so. There's something about that that makes them pause that if they're not these overwhelming physical specimens who, you know, dominate in a way, you know, uh going to the basket or just dominate physicality and 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 athleticism and all that that they can't be on that list in terms of the top 5, but no one's ever shot the ball like him. And like you said, and I'll go to the Raiders. They always said this about, and I didn't, I don't remember him very much, but so Ray Guy, the punter for the Raiders, he changed how football was played because of field position. And that's why he made the Hall of Fame is because when you change how your sport is actually played, like you just said with Steph, you're generational. I mean, that, that's that's one thing very, very few people can say that I changed how the game, the entire game was played in this facet. And as you just said, he did that in basketball. So I don't know why people are afraid to put him in the top five, but I think you make a good point in that it just might, it literally might just be his stature. I mean, it, there's a perfectly valid reasoning to say, well, he's not good enough defensively where, you know, to compare to Jordan and LeBron, two guys that at their peak were phenomenal defenders. But I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the exact list is. I don't have my own top five list either, but like, I don't think you should be afraid to put Curry there. Like they've been, no. he's been incredible. And he's been, like you said, the best at the most important thing in the sport right now. He's been the best shooter in the history of the sport. Yeah. And that is the number one thing that teams need. They need guys that can shoot. And this guy and this guy's not just, oh, he can catch and shoot from the corner. This guy is, oh, I'll just dribble across half court and pull up from 35 feet and knock it down. And your defense is going to look around saying, what the hell are we supposed to do with that? Right. And that's why he's in that realm. So it's it's incredible, I think, what Steph Curry's been, and I don't think anybody should be afraid to put him in the top five just because he doesn't uh, look as big and menacing 
as Michael Jordan, as a LeBron James is. One other question on sort of this whole legacy thing. What do we do with Steve Kerr as a head coach? Yeah. One of the all-time best. And he it's, took, it's, and here's the other thing. He took, um, he took that team, like you said, and made that style and built it around the greatest shooter ever and was able to win. Now, if you give him the Lakers, I don't know. And I don't know if that's fair either. I mean, it's just what did you do with the right. with the team you had and, and the talent you had and how did you build around it? And he did it, and he's got four titles. Um, and he won, like I said, this was, and you agree, this is his least talented one, and they still won the title. Um, how many, you know, of the of the big three, did Mark Jackson, how did Mark Jackson have of those? He didn't win any of the titles. Of, no. Oh, oh, of the players? Yeah. Right. Uh, he had all of them, didn't he? Okay, so Danny's saying, yeah, um, and Steve Kerr takes them over, and, and they're a dynasty now. Yeah, that that is the that's the crazy thing to me is like you go back and look at what um, the Warriors were with Mark Jackson, and yes, he did have all three of them. Um, they Mark Jackson was the head coach there for three seasons. They missed the playoffs. Then Steph Curry kind of actually became a good player and they lost in the second round and they lost in the first round, right? It's not like they were an awful team. They were a postseason team in the NBA playoffs, but Steve Kerr comes in in his very first year, they win 67 games and win the NBA finals. The next year they win 73 games. They lost the finals. And then they bat follow that up with two more NBA titles. Like Mark Jackson had this team in the postseason. Steve Kerr turned just a middle of the road, Western conference playoff team into a dynasty. Like, imagine if somebody took over, I don't know, the Utah Jazz to today and just turned them into a dynasty. And we're talking about the Jazz eight years from now having won four titles. That's kind of what happened here with Steve Kerr. And I I don't know where you assign all of the credit or most of the credit, but Kerr deserves a lot of it. I am curious to see how long does he end up coaching? Because I, I don't know. I don't know why I get the feeling he might be a guy that's like, yeah, coach for a decade and I'm good. I don't need to coach anymore. But I would be curious to see, like, what does he look like somewhere else? Like, is Steve Kerr able to just walk into any good team and turn them into a title contender? Or was this just a very, very I mean, special situation? I think he'll go through the Olympics because he's the Olympic coach. So what's that? A, oh, at least right. a couple, at least a couple more years. So I think yeah. he'll go through at least that uh, to help pick that team and to coach that team in the Olympics in Paris. Um, which, so that's a couple more at least. And, I I mean, I don't think you can win it and not walk away. He's, he's got nine um, between a player and a coach, so 10's kind of a fun number to chase. Um, so I think it's at least, at minimum, a couple more years. Yeah, so I'm, and Curry's going to be playing for a couple of more years, yes. too. Like, that, like, that's the part of this, is you look at the Western Conference for next season, there's a lot of good teams in the West, but I don't know how many teams you would actually say, yeah, they're better than Golden State. Like, I, it's, it's not many. I mean, maybe if the Clippers are fully healthy, but outside of that, like, Memphis is good phoenix we'll see what they do in denver. the offseason but they should be good denver if they get healthy should be good like there's maybe the timberwolves take a big step up maybe lebron and anthony davis are healthy in the lakers like there's a lot of good teams but there's not many teams you would say in the west oh yeah that that team's definitely going to be a title contender right. it, the golden state warriors could be right back next season the odds came out the last night they were the favorites i found it interesting that the clippers were second that's just assu- that's just assuming everyone's out, assuming right. george I mean, and Kawhi are healthy it's, I mean, it's based on every time Kawhi Leonard is healthy, his team is winning right, the title. Exactly. So yes. the problem is that's just, that's just once every four years. Yes. But maybe next year is one of those years. All right, coming up next, Ben Brown joins the show. 
You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Ben Brown. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? What's up, Ben? We're good. Uh, all right. Let's look into the future. If you were to pick an NFL team to win four titles in eight years like the Golden State Warriors just did, who would it be? That's a really good question. I do think that, obviously, you're looking for you know young quarterback. I do think that maybe it could be a team like the Cincinnati Bengals, given the core that they have in place. It's Mar Chase, Joe Burrow, talented wide receiver, which... Uh, you know, multiple positions or multiple guys at wide receiver that can be, uh, you know, game-breaking type talent. So I think they would be the team that I'd probably be the most interested in right now in betting uh, to win the four of the next eight. I do think that is a really good question, though. Let me ask you this about uh, Lamar and, and Kyler Murray, um, and they both want deals. If you had to put odds on who goes first, it, to me, I said this yesterday, I don't know if Lamar wants to stay there. I, I, I yeah. get a feeling he might not want to stay there, and that's why he hasn't really engaged them. But wh- wh- where would you put odds on both of those guys? Yeah, definitely. I do think Kyler Murray's going to get done. Obviously, there were some you know initial rumors uh, this offseason, even you know toward the end of last season, that he was disgruntled and wanted to get traded. I do think that's basically been squelched. So uh, I would put pretty decent odds on the fact that he does get re-upped in Arizona, you know, minus 250, minus 300 type of situation right. uh, on that particular one. And, and then the Mar Jackson one, uh, I think it's interesting because it does seem like both sides have some uh, hesitation, I would say, in order to get a deal done. I think from Baltimore's side of things, uh, they might not be certain that they want to guarantee all that money to Lamar Jackson, especially when they saw, you know, Tyler Huntley capable of filling in at, you know, a 75 to 80% uh, capability to what Lamar Jackson kind of offers them. And I do think kind of like what you touched on, Lamar Jackson doesn't seem overly interested uh, and really engaging with those talks as well. So I think they probably end up getting done, but I don't think it's anywhere close to as uh, a much favorite as it is with Kyler Murray uh, getting his deal in Arizona. Would Lamar Jackson work on another team? Like one of the things the Ravens have gotten credit for is is building their offense around what Lamar Jackson is. Would Would he work if he had to go to a different team that didn't quite embrace it the same way? Yeah, and I don't I don't think he would be anywhere near as you know dynamic, and I don't think he would offer as much you know, capabilities from an EPA perspective if they're not giving him, you know, a ton of the run-pass type of options, being able to get him outside uh, and roll out situations and like that. So I do think if you don't have an offense designed uh, for Lamar Jackson specifically, uh, it's going to be it's gonna be difficult for him to really execute in a traditional type of offense, I would say, uh, given what we've seen from him so far. So I would be concerned. I do think maybe that's a reason why uh, the Ravens might not be as pressed to uh, re-up with Lamar Jackson, given the fact that uh, he doesn't probably fit as well with any other team in the NFL than, like how he does with the Baltimore Ravens. It's funny. And I think that... they can kind of, yeah, and I think they can kind of tailor that to a different quarterback if they absolutely have to. I think is what their uh, what their view is right now. It's funny that he might not know that. I know that's that's interesting. I think he maybe has to. I don't know, but that's. Uh, you know, it's hard to kind of read some of those situations with specific players, but uh, I think if you ask basically anybody within an NFL organization right now, uh, they would probably have the same sentiment about Lamar Jackson as we're talking about right now. On the Kyler Murray side, you have him as a very likely to sign a new deal this offseason. 
why hasn't it happened yet, given that he's been, or at least seemingly been, unhappy with not having that new contract already? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. I'm not sure. Maybe I think and the, the thing is, the, the situation has kind of changed, right? I do think that he went into the season a lot more disgruntled. Uh, reports have been much more positive, I would say, relatively recently, saying all the right things again. So from that perspective, it makes me seem like they are probably close. Maybe they're waiting on uh, a Lamar Jackson-type deal in order to kind of gauge where they want to be at in comparison to the rest of the market. Uh, and, and I think they might be waiting too long on that. So I do think it gets done probably uh, right before training camp, I would say. So I do think probably in the next month or so we're going to hear something on Kyler Murray uh, officially getting that uh, long-term extension. That's kind of my projection right now. I, I don't know why, but I'm going against uh, many's odds that Darren Waller is going to re-up in terms of getting a contract extension. I just I don't know why I have this feeling that they are considering his injuries of the past, his age and all that, and they might wait on him. Uh, do you see this happening before camp? Uh, you know, Renfro's in the fold, and everyone's like, well, Waller's next, and they're just assuming it's going to happen. I, I kind of pause on that to see if they, he's got two years left on that deal. Yeah, he does have two years left on the deal. I think, you know, obviously a fairly team-friendly deal right now. Uh, so he definitely is going to be in the mix here again for 2023. And then, yeah, I think, you know, the injury situation definitely matters. I mean, uh, he's definitely not, you know, the youngest player even being in the league basically uh, you know, seven, eight years right now as well. So 29, 30 years old, I do think this could be uh, a make-or-break type of year for him if he is going to get another extension. So I agree with you. I wouldn't probably do it from uh, the Raiders' perspective just given the control that they have with him here in 2022 and 2023. But, um, yeah, I would be probably more surprised if it does happen than if it doesn't happen right now. Would you change your thoughts on Panthers' win total or odds to make the playoffs if they acquired Baker Mayfield? I think it would maybe move like, a, you know, a game, I would say, uh, you know, one win total up. I do think that he probably would be a decent upgrade over a guy like Sam Darnold uh, and obviously uh, pushes out the future of the Matt Corral season that I'm hoping for personally, so that's why I'm not fully on board with it. But I do think they probably see, you know, their win total maybe adjust up to six and a half games Given the state of that uh, division that they're playing with, they probably can squeeze out one or two uh, victories against the Atlanta Falcons, you'd hope. So given Baker Mayfield, that quarterback, and you know the assumed talent that they have at the wide receiver position. So uh, I think it moves the needle a little bit. But yeah, that's, that's basically it seems like it's all but written in stone here at this point. Wait, do you have a bet on Matt Corral to win Rookie of the Year or something? I have a little sprinkle in there already, so yeah, that's uh, ruining my what, that future's bet for sure. He's the only guy that I really like in that offensive rookie of the year uh, market right now, uh, and I thought he would potentially have the opportunity to start from day one if Baker Mayfield isn't there, but that one's uh, probably going to be written off here pretty quickly, I guess. Is there a better team than not? I see the Patriots, the Texans, Seattle, even Carolina. Is there a better team than not for Jimmy Garoppolo? I, I mean... I don't think so, and I honestly, um, with the assumption that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be in San Francisco next year, so I don't think that uh, we're going to see him move to any of these other teams. Panthers like kind of the only team that makes sense for either one of these quarterbacks, uh, and I think they maybe could have, uh, you know, if they can get Baker Mayfield for essentially free, um, you know, if he's cut or something like that, I think that's a much better approach for them. Uh, than trading away assets for Jimmy Garoppolo right now. So I would expect Garoppolo to stay uh, and Baker Mayfield probably to slot in with Carolina, and that probably to be the end of the quarterback carousel here uh, in 2022 from my perspective. 
who actually is going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year? <laughs> That's. I mean, if it's not Matt Carell, I'm going back to the well on a lot of a lot of my uh, things. I'll have to look here a little bit. I mean. You know, Kenny Pickett's not the favorite. Drake, people like Drake London as well. I don't think, you know, at their odds right now, uh, either one of those guys makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, from a fantasy perspective, a guy that I like quite a bit is James Cook. Um, I do think if you see, you know, the Buffalo Bills kind of finish, finish close to expectation um, as far as, like, where they're priced at in the betting market right now, and James Cook is that lead back over a guy like Devin Singletary, and is somewhat dynamic in the passing game, I think he's probably the guy uh, that could win that Offense Rookie of the Year award uh, in, in what could be a really high-performing, high-functioning offense. So he would probably be my approach if uh, if, if I didn't have any Matt Corral shares uh, that were live right now, I would say. Is well, it he has s- been, oh, go ahead, Ed. Oh, I was just going to say, is it the same list of characters for MVP? I mean, it's there's, there's maybe, you know, not, there's not a ton of betting value. I do think if you're looking, you know, much further down the list, I do like a guy like, you know, Kyler Murray at plus 2,000. Uh, and I think if you if you like the Raiders, um, you know, as a team to perform above expectation and, and potentially get back into the playoffs, I think it's going to have to absolutely be uh, because of a guy like Derek Carr. So him at plus 2,800, even, you know, Josh McDaniels at plus 1,800 to win Offensive Coach of the Year. Um, I think one of those two is probably going to have to hit if the Raiders are going to be successful here in 2022. So outside of maybe taking them on, you know, the division odds, I do think that maybe he's taking a long shot out on one of those two approaches. If you do like the Raiders, uh, is a pretty justifiable approach right now. Well, he has Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Ben, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. Uh-oh. Giving you reason to bet on Derek Carr to win MVP. Say. Watch out. Watch out. I hope Derek Carr was listening to that. He'll be excited. Well, we know David Dar- was. I was hope David Carr was listening. He'll definitely be I mean, excited. He's, he's, he's in. That bet is made. 2,800. Uh, it's been made for the last eight seasons, <laughs> exactly. too. Still waiting on one to cash. Coming up next, we'll get back into the NBA Finals as the Boston Celtics came up just short of winning a title. Draymond, an open three. He got it! His first three of the finals! Draymond Green hits a triple, and it's a one-point game. Pretty good timing. Wiggins on Grant Williams. Takes him to the iron, shot it strong. Well defended, kicks out to Poole. His three is good. How about Long that? rebound to Jordan Poole, and he buries the triple. Curry, left wing three, walked into it. Perfect. Boston's got to take time. A second thought, don't wait. Oh, my word. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. The Boston Celtics came up two games short of winning an NBA title. Um, Ed, are we allowed to yell at the Celtics for being so bad since we both picked them to win the title? You're darn right we are, just like we were able to uh, pump the chests out when Miami didn't do it. <laughs> this, I again, I do not comprehend how the Boston Celtics can be a team that looked so good at times, right, and were team that could win the NBA title. Obviously, they came within two games, but yet have so many games in this postseason where they were atrocious. I mean, just last night, they allowed a 21 nothing run. At home. To At home. Nothing. Yeah. Like, what? They had 21 turnovers. 
Tatum had five, Brown had five. Those were two of the biggest culprits. But like the turnovers happened all of the time. Like almost every time they lost, it was because they had a ridiculous number of turnovers. And I swear, like I'm not to completely discredit the Warriors, but it felt like even against the Heat, even against the Bucks, every time they would have a massive turnover game, you felt like it was unforced errors. You felt no. like it was just they can't dribble the ball for some reason. Sloppy it, passes. Right. And it always, always turned into a fast break. Like they never just throw the ball out of bounds. They throw it right to Clay Thompson, right. who's running the other way in a two on one. It was incredible. And then last night, this was something that wasn't a big problem throughout the series. They got crushed on the offensive glass. Golden yes. State got 15 offensive rebounds. Like, I, I feel pretty confident all of Jordan Poole's points came off of offensive rebounds and kickouts. Yeah. Like, it was unbelievable. And then you throw on top of it, Jason Tatum, 13 points, 5 of 18 shooting, only scored two in the second half. Like, games five and six, he did absolutely nothing in the second half of those games. I just, I cannot quite comprehend how a team that was a legitimate title contender could have legitimately won the NBA championship could have so many, not just one or two, like the Warriors got blown out by the Grizzlies in one where they played really bad. They didn't, the Celtics didn't do that like once or twice. They did it like 10, eight, 10 times during this postseason. I think a lot of it, I think most of it goes to the turnovers. Uh, you talked about it before. It's, it's, it was amazing watching it live and all the live ball turnovers. And, you know, uh, I kept hearing from their coaching staff, we have to be more physical, we have to do, we have to do this, we have to, uh, they're going to play the way they're going to play and all that. Look, stop turning the ball over. That, that was never mentioned. Stop turning the ball over, and then maybe you'd have a chance. Um, let me ask you this. After what you saw in five and six, has your opinion changed on how good Jason Tatum is or where he should be ranked? No, because I saw him leading up to games five and six. Like, he was awesome. And was going to be the best player on a team that was going to win the title. Like, I mean, we're, we're not far away from saying that. So, no, I think there's – we talked a little bit about the minutes played. He played more minutes than anybody's ever played in the playoffs over the last decade. Um, I think that probably added up there. I, I think he's going to be just fine. I think uh, coming back next year, the Celtics will be one of, if not the favorite in the out East. Of the East. And yeah, out of the East. I'd probably put Milwaukee ahead of him right now, but Boston's right there, and Tatum's going to be the best player on a team that could win the title again yeah. next year. I I mean, something's got to be slightly different, right? There's got to be less turnovers, but I don't think they're that far away. I don't think it's going to be a whole a, a big step for Boston to take to actually get there to where they are NBA champions or where they're at least like not losing because they just hilariously give the ball away yeah. 21 times. I have... One very specific complaint about the Celtics in this game, and it's actually for M.A. Udoka, their head coach. We spent the last two weeks of this series talking about the Boston Celtics playing drop coverage on Steph Curry. Right. And and I, on this show, I told you why I thought it was a good idea. And the reason was it took away everything else, right? It gave Steph Curry a dribble three, but it took away Steph Curry's ability to get to the rim. It prevented the Cel or the Celtics from having to help and then get kick out threes or kick out to Draymond, who then drives at your uh, rotating defense. It took all of that away. Last night, and specifically in the fourth quarter, when Boston actually made a run to get it back within single digits, they started switching screens with yeah. Steph Curry and leaving Al Horford. Al Horford on him. 
to so guard he could Steph go off Curry. the bounce and just get past Al, Hor- Al Horford anytime he wanted. And there were three possessions there in the fourth quarter where the Celtics, they got it back within single digits, and then three possessions that, that helped end this game. All three of them were with Steph Curry getting Al Horford yeah. switched onto him. Two of them drove right past him and got a layup, and goal, and Boston did not send help because that's you don't want to help against the Warriors. But they did not send help, and Horford got beat off the dribble because, of, of course, he got beat off the dribble. And then the other thing that happened, they did actually send help and try to double Steph Curry when Horford switched on to him. And Tatum comes on the double. Curry immediately throws the pass. They get it to the corner, and Andrew Wiggins gets a wide-open three, which he hit. Those are the exact shots that Boston was preventing Golden State from getting with the drop coverage. And here's here's my complaint. You play the drop coverage because over time, the math should work out in your favor. Yeah, he's not going to hit everything. He's going to have one of those games like he did in game five. Over time... You're not, you're not giving up layups and catch-and-shoot threes, which are the best shots in the game. You're giving up the pull-up three from Steph Curry, or there's an occasional like mid-range shot in there. Over time, the math is going to win out when you play drop coverage, or that's why you play it, because you think it is. Curry tried to you know break that, and he kind of did break that for the majority of the series, but you play drop coverage, and you have to stick to it because it's a, it's a big sample size defense. It's what the Milwaukee Bucks have been doing for years, it's a big sample size defense. That's there's going to be an occasional game or two where somebody goes off, but for the most part, you're taking away the best shots in the game. And for some reason, they completely went away from that. And just Horford got torched because Al Horford can't guard Steph Curry from the perimeter. Didn't they switch I, Marcus Smart on him, and it was too little, too late? Yeah, I mean, well, the problem with Horford on him is they would just run a ball screen and Horford and he would, would just switch go by him. off of it. Right. Yeah, and like, yeah, they can you can put whoever you want on Curry, but if you're going to switch the first ball screen they run, then the Warriors can get whoever they want guarding Steph right. Curry. And that was the problem is they were like, "Oh, well, we want Horford to guard him." I just it's not the reason they lost, like they got they were down big and a comeback was very, very unlikely to happen, but I was just stunned that after we saw four and five games of drop coverage and and how big of a deal that was that Boston switched and they went to, hey, we're just going to switch Horford onto him when we have a slight chance to come back. I was disappointed.